everyone, and welcome to Social Sport. I'm your host, Emma Zimmerman, and this show is a member of the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. On Social Sport, I feature conversations with endurance athletes of all types committed to fostering social change. These athletes are climate change activists, they're mental health advocates, promoters of more inclusive outdoor spaces, and much more. But what ties all of these athletes together is that they're committed to exploring the connection between sport and activism in their lives. Thank you to Paper Trails Greeting Co. for sponsoring the Social Sport Podcast. Paper Trails Greeting Co. is the most comprehensive and adorable line of running greeting cards out there. It's a small business owned and operated by an athlete. The inspiration for Paper Trails Greeting Co. comes from the power of connection. One of my favorite products is the Mantra Pack. It includes five cards, each with witty and inspirational sayings and fun, colorful designs. I ordered a bunch to send to some people I love, and you can do the same thing. Go to papertrailsgreetingco.com and use code SOCIALSPORT to get 15% off your order. I also want to let you know about the Social Sport newsletter. The first issue launches on Friday, and I am so excited about it. I know you'll enjoy it if you enjoy the podcast. It contains news on the Social Sport podcast deeper dives into some of the issues that we discuss on the show, and it also has some unrelated writing and my musings of the moment. You can go to socialsport.substack.com to subscribe and share with anyone else who might enjoy it. It is hard to put into words the powerhouse that is coach-athlete duo David Roche and Grayson Murphy. In this episode, we barely talk about athletic achievements, although Grayson's achievements are world-class. If you're not familiar with her, Grayson is a professional trail and roadrunner for Saucony, whose many accolades include first-place finishes at the 2019 U.S. Mountain Running, World Mountain Running, and Xterra Trail Run World Championships, and five-time NCAA All-American honors. David's running accomplishments are similarly impressive. He was the 2014 USATF Trail Runner of the Year at the sub-ultra distance. He is a two-time national champion and three-time member of Team USA, and he is a renowned coach. But instead of talking about all of that, we talk about environmentalism and environmental justice. Because in addition to their athletic achievements, Grayson and David are also environmental advocates. Grayson through her graduate work and her partnerships with climate-focused organizations, and David through his work as a staff attorney with the Environmental Law Institute. You might be wondering how they each have so many passions and so much success in all of them. So we address how a coach-athlete relationship can lead not only to success in sport, but also to success where it matters most, in life and in creating a better world. Hey, Grayson and David, welcome to Social Sport. I'm really excited for this conversation. Thank you so much much for having having us. us. This is going to be an awesome conversation. It's cool to have like a coach-athlete duo on the podcast. I've never had that before. So this is something new and exciting. And you two aren't just coaches and athletes. You do so many different things. So if you could give me just a little sense, give a little intro to who you are, 
where you are right now and what you're passionate about. I'll start with Grayson. You look ready. (laughs) Um, I am a professional runner. I wear a lot of hats. I make my own planners. um, So kind of an entrepreneur and I'm in grad school for sustainable natural resources. So that brings in that piece. And um, I'm also a civil engineer. So I feel like I just have a lot going on a lot of different hands in a lot of different pots. Grayson's uh, business card should say total freaking boss. (laughs) In every way, in so many different places of life. She doesn't just do those things. She excels at them um, and lifts people up along the way. Uh, So I'm Dave Roach. I'm a running coach, um, also a staff attorney at the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit that works on environmental issues um, and a writer and uh, dabble in athletics myself, but mainly coach nowadays. Okay, so dabble is like a very weak word to use for his athletic achievements. Um, And that's funny because I was going to mention off the bat, I was going to start with you, David, that you have a pretty impressive track record as an athlete and an environmental lawyer. And so this year, the year that you started as a staff attorney at the Environmental Law Institute, I read that that was also the year you were named the USATF Trail Runner of the Year, 2014. Is that incorrect? Is that uh, right? Timing is right there. Yeah. Okay. So how have you balanced both of those high level passions? I mean, I think it's super complimentary. Um, you know, granted Megan and I, my wife, Megan and I don't have a family yet or, or kids or anything, but um, at least early on. So when I, when I came out of law school and was, was working all the time and um, you know, the outlet just made me a better lawyer and a better person because I, I think the type of law I tried to practice was really focused on like the individuals and communities. And that's the great thing about the Environmental Law Institute. It really emphasizes that. And so, I mean, it's just like everything else for me, at least being a runner, like let me be an enthusiastic, fully present person. Um, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it did in my big idealized way. And sometimes uh, it made life a little bit more logistically complicated, but I wouldn't trade it all. I mean, I remember when I first started going to Alaska for work and we'd be in places like Nome or Anchorage and trying to run on those roads. It gave me a full new respect for like, you know, people that live in different places and have different associations with the natural world um, and different backgrounds. And so I think it was all really complimentary and like one lifted up the other. And then when coaching came in, it was kind of the perfect, perfect all around setup of where I get to have running for myself, but I don't spend too much of my life focused on myself. I love how you are really highlighting like the focus on the people. Like you said, the work that you do in law really lets you think about the people and these communities. And then you bring in this coaching piece, which is super interesting to me because I think we often think of running and also just environmentalism in general as very solo pursuits. And for you, it almost seems like it's the opposite. Or focused on like, when you think about environmentalism, I think it's easy, you know, I mean, and often the way it's painted politically is that we're going to focus on, okay, well, one thing focuses on the environment, this abstract concept of nature, often like, you know, mother nature and viewed in these ways that are totally antiquated. And then the other is like, well, we're going to focus on the economy and people. And in reality, like tying the, tying it all together into community, people, connectedness, not just of humans, but of everything else too, 
I mean, I think it's the only right answer. It's why every spiritual system kind of comes from that same framework, even if they're using different languages. And so I think environmentalism is an offshoot of that, of not just a connection to nature, but a connection to other people, a connection to universal truth in general, as, as, as corny as that can sound. Um, you know, I think it is the thing that binds us all together. Um, and so, you know, being in tune with that, it's really easy to lose sight of it, especially as a lawyer, where you start to get bogged down in statutes and, um, you know, this minutia and just surviving day to day. That's why like, you know, environmental or environmental issues can be so uplifting because it's like, oh man, you know, this is the true grounding thing that holds us mm-hmm. all together. And then getting to see how communities actually experience it on the ground in places like Alaska and the Gulf Coast. And, um, you know, even talking about some overseas places, it's like, this isn't just an intellectual conversation of liberal versus conservative. This is like truth versus fiction. Totally, yeah. And I, I love that interpretation or explanation of environmental work as like this connection between so many pieces of, of what it means to be a person and and what it and spirituality because that's really what it is and I see so much of that in your current work David which we'll go into a little bit later in the conversation but I want to bring Grayson in here because I know Grayson I mean you had much success as a college athlete at Utah and then you were a pro um for a couple of years or a year before joining David at Swap, uh, his team, did you ever think during those times beforehand that it was possible to have a successful running career and follow another passion? Um, I think I did think so. Um, but at that point, I was still kind of all in engineering. And that is a little bit harder to think like you can have a full-time engineering job as well as a full-time professional running career especially like given the aspirations I had for my running career I didn't know quite if they would balance out all at in like a year but I was pretty confident that over the course of my career I'd be able to make that happen but it would definitely be something I had to kind of grow into but there are plenty of examples off the top of my head I'm thinking of Sarah Vaughn she qualified in the 1500 for the Olympics and she was like she's a mom of I think two um, at the time and she was working full time and then made the Olympic team and so there are examples of people that have done that in the past so I was just trying to keep them in focus as I kind of moved tried to navigate the world of professional running. Totally so when did that switch happen you said you were very focused on engineering when did you then become focused on many pieces of environmentalism but just environmental change, environmental advocacy in general? Um, Well, so my degree is civil engineering and environmental engineering. So there is always kind of that piece. And a lot of the work I did in school was environmentally focused. So I kind of had that background already. And then I was talking to David last summer, we had tons of conversations, and I was just so bored. And I think part of it was a pandemic and I also love school and I'd been missing it since I left school. So it'd been two years that I'd been wanting to be back in school at that point. So with David's encouragement, um, I was looking at degrees I could kind of really hone in on the parts of the environmental engineering that I was really excited about. And that was sustainability and climate change and just managing that in a more sustainable way as opposed to just like crunching numbers and outputting designs for random buildings, I wanted to be more environmentally conscious in that way. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And I also totally feel you on the, I want to be back in school. Like I want to feel that like academic fulfillment because I had the exact same thing. Like the minute I graduate from college, I was like, okay, like when can I go back to school? So I totally feel that. Um, But it seems like David was like quite the mentor to you in not only athletics, of course, as a coach, but also in fostering and, and finding outlets for that environmental passion. And that's something that you even mentioned to me. We were talking at at a different point, uh, Grayson, for an article I was writing, you mentioned right away that uh, David has been a mentor to you in that area. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think, well, David would be a great mentor for any, if I was interested in like nuclear physics, I'm sure he would also (laughs) encourage me and be the best person to be a mentor. And that is just a cherry on top that he happened to have a background in what I was also interested in. And I think I told you before he wrote one of my letters of recommendations for grad schools. That was really special. And yeah, just having, it's mostly the positivity and encouragement to just explore those other pieces of me that aren't running. Cause I think a lot of running coaches would be I know from experience, I've been told not to get jobs outside of running from coaches, not to have boyfriends, not to do other things because they're worried that I would take away from my running performance. And so to have David encouraging me to go to grad school full time was such a different experience and so nice and refreshing to have as opposed to some of the other coaching experiences I've had in the past. Full time. For some reason, I thought you were part time in grad school, but that's wildly impressive that you're a full-time grad student and also running at the level, I mean, world champion level that you're running yeah. at. <laughs> you know, I take really classes in grad school, so. <laughs> but still, still. <laughs> well, it's remarkable. I mean, Grayson is like an intellectual force in addition to being a force on the track <laughs> and trail. And I mean, what, what I wanted, what I was saying to her is just your identity is so multifaceted, right? And that's just not just Grayson, but especially Grayson, that like she's not just a runner or just anything. She, you know, she contains multitudes. And and by in denying that, for someone like Grayson who does have this great like brilliance in her, part of her might always feel like, oh, we're, you know, a little lost, like unmoored perhaps um, in that process. So even if Grayson mm-hmm. wins a gold medal or something there's, you know, there's a part of her that isn't exploring like itself fully. Um, and the other thing is she can do a bunch of different things because, you know, there's a lot of time in the day. She's super smart. She is a hard worker. I mean, she has all the tools, you know? And so, um, especially for someone like Grayson who has, has all of this ability in so many different directions and all this like love and, and you know, intelligence to, to put out there. I mean, like you said, I, I don't, I think, be, it, being environmental stuff is very cool, but it just as well could have been starting, like building on her business with the planners or, or something like that. Um, just like fully exploring like the nooks and crannies of what makes her unique because that's where like the beauty is. And it seems like she's really thrived on that. Just looking at like her recent achievements in trail and mountain running, it seems like that has been a really important dynamic to be able to focus on many different things. And correct me if I'm wrong, please, but I get this sense that something's changing in professional coaching, that there is more. I mean, you look at examples like Lauren Flushman, you look at, there's a few different examples of coaches who want their athletes or 
even mentor their athletes in having different identities or in fostering their different identities. And I don't know if just, you know, as someone who is not as an outsider, as someone who is not a pro athlete, not coaching pro athletes, if that's what I see, or if there really isn't much of a shift going on, what are your two takes on that? So, um, I think part of it is just people are understanding that athletes are humans, you know, it kind of gets back to the stick to the sports conversation that used to be prevalent. And now I think anyone that says stick to sports would just be, you know, laughed away from the table for obvious reasons that there are really big, important things like Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, environmental issues and and climate change and everything else we're talking about. Um, And part of it is just the incentive structure for, for coaches needs to change just like it needs to change for investment banks or whatever, um, that if you set up a structure where the only goal is to have an athlete win a gold medal, then yes, your goal is to throw as many eggs at the wall. If one doesn't break, that egg is a problem, you know, might have a shot at the Olympic medal. And then no one really cares about the other, all the broken eggshells lying around. Um, But I think more and more people are starting to understand that like fulfilled humans are what matters. And, you know, a coach is just like, a friend or, or anyone else in our lives, you know, that ha- might have a little bit of a role to play, not like a huge role, you know, just like Grayson, you know, was so kind to say about mentorship. Grayson has also mentored me in this process and like, not just in my, my own personal journey, but then as a coach, she's been so helpful and understanding and open um, in ways that have made me better. And I think the understanding that a coach athlete relationship can be just break down the barriers perhaps of like, all that matters is someone's how fast they cross the finish line um, into like, are people fulfilled? You know, are we building on this connectedness and stuff like that? And Grayson, I mean, you can speak to that because, you know, you've had a bunch of different experiences, but um, you know, she's given me so much along the way. And I think that, I mean, for me, that's, that's why I'm like, you know, almost emotional thinking about that because it's, it's just so cool that someone like that can give that to the world, you know, not just me, but like literally everyone she meets. Yeah, I think that really hits it on the head. And then the other piece I would add too from the athlete perspective is I think a lot of coaches or it seems like they're noticing that um, mental health really affects the performance of the athlete. So if you can get an athlete to be whatever it means for them to be in a good mental health space, like for me, that means doing a lot of stuff outside of running Um, for other people, maybe it doesn't. But I think the coaches are realizing, too, that's an important performance piece that needs to be recognized and worked on if you really want to get the best out of the athlete. And then also, I have a lot to say about social media. But the one thing that I would say. Please say everything about social media. I'm here for all of it. I It would take hours. But uh, I do think that brands are recognizing that athletes can be more than just like gold medal Um, coat hangers they can also be ambassadors for the sport and could be important influencers of change and not only like buying their products but like I can be a good mental health advocate and Saucony has spoken out about mental health a lot so I think that that really works well together Um, so just like pretty much everyone I guess companies athletes coaches are just becoming more holistic in their approach and their scope to who they're targeting and how they're doing it. 
Yeah, totally. I'm so happy you brought up that mental health aspect of it because it is super crucial. And I mean, Grayson, you have been so vocal about mental health and the importance of mental health and talking about these topics, which I know so many people appreciate, but also I'm sure it's important for other coaches and athletes to be able to to say like, oh yeah, this is important. You know, Grayson is focusing on this, is talking about this. This must be an important thing that we should focus on. So I'm, I can't imagine the effect that that is having. Oh yeah. Yeah. And to have the support from a coach for your mental health is super valuable too. I don't think you'd be able to achieve 80% of what you could or 50% even if you didn't have that support. Yeah. What Grayson uh, wrote an article that talked about was brain sprains. And I thought that, I mean, that really resonated with me, but then also my wife and co-coach, and we talk about it all the time in our own lives, um, where we try to refer to these, these things in a much more like approachable, natural way. And that was because of Grayson. I mean, we've always been comfortable trying to bring up these topics, but it was a way we hadn't thought about it. And, you know, she did that on social media, this place that has a lot of complications, but I think she's showing a little bit of how, you know, she's not just a coat rack (laughs) as she talked about. She's so much more than that as we all are on anything that we do, you know, whether it's a podcaster or a lawyer or doctor or anything. And um, that whole person, that whole identity is kind of what people are here for anyway. Um, And I mean, I I love that Saucony does that. I mean, I've heard that from multiple athletes that that talk to them, for example. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, hopefully it goes everywhere. I'm sure there's still a lot more work to do based on you know, some recent stories, but it, there's, I think there's a huge opportunity here for the running world in general to understand that like the narratives are cool, but what matters a lot more are the people and to like keep lifting that up along the way, like keep celebrating that part of it as much as we possibly can. So what I hear both of you talking to is this idea of balance in so many aspects and in mental health and fostering and allowing other passions to shine that aren't just running and, and the whole person. And to me, that seems like very evident in the whole swap team philosophy. I know I was reading your website recently and I'm going to quote, it said that you like to help help athletes learn to live like puppies and run like rock stars while not giving a fuck about things that aren't important. David is looking away. You're like cringing, (laughs) but I love that. I love that quote. And because I think it shows so much this philosophy that balances mental health and it's funny and light. And I just love to hear more about how this philosophy plays out for the coach and the athlete in practice, like how you put that into the day-to-day. I mean, my main goal is to kind of bring in a celebratory aspect to as much as we can in an athlete's life. You know, you're hundred percent honest. You have to maintain like full trust at any time, but the, the idea of unconditional support means that a person truly can't do wrong. Um, as long as, you know, that trust is reciprocated both directions. So, you know, with someone like Grayson, like, I think Grayson knows that I might tell her something that like, I think or whatever. But at the end of the day, like I respect her so fully that no matter what comes out the other end is something I support and I'm right there. And then as runs happen or whatever, it's just trying to like (laughs) this silly celebratory aspect where it's so easy to go do a workout or any other aspect of a running life or a presentation or, you know, do a test or whatever 
someone has going on and be like, oh, well, how could I improve every little aspect? How could I optimize all these marginal gains? And I think one thing we've seen is as soon as you start playing the marginal gains game, gains game, you get on a rough mental health path, also, also a rough decision-making path that can lead to pretty dark places. Instead of that, like, you know, yes, the science matters, like fully science-driven, fully, fully driven by all the evidence we have. But once you learn, you know, as you learn, try to celebrate every little milestone because, you know, the experiences, results, all that stuff is dust in the wind. So yeah, as, as it works in practice is hopefully like a lot of very genuinely understood exclamation points with a, a associated understanding that like the world isn't like puppies and unicorns, that that silly stuff is just a way to be comfortable to talk about like, you know, I don't want to use any specific examples, but any negative thing that happens in all of our lives. And so in other words, it's about more than running, but running is a great outlet as an excuse to celebrate yourself all the damn time. (laughs) Running as celebration. That's such a cool and unique idea. Grace, did you have any takes on that or a way you kind of bring that balance into the day to day? Yeah, I think so. The very first race that I did with David almost exactly a year ago now, um, he wanted, I, my relationship with racing isn't the best all the time. And I think I tend to, or I've gotten in this mindset, I've kind of been on this like fast path to success since I started running. So it's kind of been a mind warp. And so he's been trying to help me get out of that idea that all races are the most important race ever. And the first race I did with him, um, I remember he put in our training log, a celebration of life and, my goals for the race were to tell everyone that I passed good job and to try and give them high fives. And it was before COVID um, really hit. So that was like the whole goal of the race was just to have fun racing in a race environment and not get too bogged up in like it's a race and anxious about it. Um, so that was really fun. And then also this 2020 was pretty hard for everyone, I'm sure. And for me, especially, I, it manifested in like lack of motivation and just not really wanting to run. So David was really helpful and, and integral and encouraging me to explore other options of movement that weren't necessarily training related, but that sounded fun. So I got a bike and that was really fun. Um, so I got into gravel biking and which he did too. So I would love to ride with him one day. Um, and then just, yeah, I like, and taking breaks too, and just encouraging, like, we're in the middle of a pandemic. It's okay. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, you don't need to know. You don't need to be good at dealing with the pandemic, hopefully, because this hopefully is the only one in our lifetime. So yeah, yeah let's hope. Kind of like <laughs> bringing everything back to reality and that running is part of like this whole cosmic experience. It's not the only experience that you're going through at that time. So yeah, all of that from David is kind of how I've felt it in practice. Someone like, I mean, Grayson is an example of like a world-class athlete and human that doesn't necessarily need pressure from a coach, right? Um, That's not something that I think there, it's like you already have a diamond and it's like, you're starting to like, let's crush this diamond now. (laughs) Uh, Obviously different people are motivated by different things. And, you know, Grayson is, Grayson really helped me learn, like, you know, I mean, to, to, it's really hard to put into words what she's capable of in as a, as in every, every one of these fields we're talking about. But what I, what I hope to convey a little bit is that 
all the things that come and go along that process. So, you know, race is being the obvious example, but also, you know, each semester of this program, each training cycle that she goes through and what her goal, how her goals shift over time and that how Grayson is different in, in January of this year versus June and, and December and everything, that it all is like, it's all okay. As long as there's this background beat of belief in, in herself and in, in everything that's to come, like this amorphous idea of the future. And not only does she have that, it's like so cool to see. And I, I mean, yeah, so long, long story, long way of saying that, um, you know, anything that gets someone to believe is, is where it's at because we're all capable of so freaking much. Um, someone like Grayson, I mean, it, you could, it's like a freaking, it's co- like coaching a rocket ship. It's like, well, all I do is try to point the rocket ship up like that. Then the rocket ship rests. Yeah. Um, that's not, I'm not, I'm doing that. Um, and so, you know, but for other athletes, it's just whatever it takes to get to believe. Um, if you've ever seen Ted Lasso, I think like that's the, the ultimate example where it's the soccer coach in England um, who just, I mean, there's a believe poster on the wall and that's, that's basically the entire show. <laughs> no. It's our favorite show. <laughs> so many important things said, and, and I'm just thinking, David, I feel like I need you to write like mantras for me to wake up and read because <laughs> so many just little nuggets of inspiration. But one thing I love about speaking with both of you is that whenever I ask you about yourselves, you keep bringing it back to the other person. Like I ask great, you know, Grace a question. She's like, you know, David has taught me so much. And, and David does the same thing. Like Grayson as an athlete has taught me so much. And I think that in itself says so much about what is successful about you both as coaches and athletes is this mutual respect for the whole person, which is just really cool to, to hear about. Well, to flip it around, I'd actually love to hear from you. I know this is not, you're not supposed to do this on podcasts is like ask the podcaster a question, but you know, you, for example, you're doing this podcast. It's a pretty big deal, right? It's like a pretty big investment. I'm sure you get nervous before it, anything like, I mean, do you find that like you judge yourself in that process of, you know, designing topics, like thinking about them, maybe even re-listening to them or whatever it is. Like, I think podcasting is a great like case study and a lot of things we're talking about. Oh yeah, 100%. Like I will ne- I don't think I'll ever stop being nervous. And I think and I'm sure you get this because you also host a podcast, David, but, but what I'm, it's just like Grayson talking about racing, you know? Yeah. Like and I'm sure you're always like I could have done this better or anything. And that's so hard because that feeling is ubiquitous for almost all people all the time about everything. And mm-hmm. I mean so like with podcasting, have you like, do you have any tools or like, is it something that you're still, you're reckoning with? I mean, I, I just, I'm very curious. I think a lot of it has come down to remembering why I do it and remembering that at the end of the day, like I do it because I really want to have these conversations and I'm passionate about having these conversations and connecting with people doing inspiring, important things for the world. Um, and I think when I keep that in mind, all the little things that I stress about become less important. And like, for example, I hate listening to my podcast back. It is so hard to listen to your own voice. I think anyone who ever records their own voice probably struggles with that. And, um, you know, social media engagement and, you know, is something that I struggle with. I really 
don't love social media at the end of the day. And I get nervous about what people think about things I'll post. But then when I remember the reason why I do it, having conversations with people like you two, it makes me think, why am I stressing so much about those little things? Which, yeah, it seems very relevant to to sports. Well, I mean, that was such an incredible answer. And I think, you know, obviously you're born to be a freaking podcaster. Like you're the amount that you're like <laughs> conveying, this is a really tough conversation to have. And you have a lot of conversations that are very difficult all the time and you freaking knock it out of the park. But, you know, when we're talking about like coaching, it gets back to like everything in life, like micro uh, running being a microcosm of a lot of other things. Right. So you know, when you talk about podcasting, like, you know, my wife and I do a podcast and Grayson has been one of our podcast coaches without realizing it. And this gets back to like how, how much I owe her is that, you know, early on in the first like few episodes, every single one, she'd just be like, David, this was the best. Like, this was so, this was so great. She was just like affirming things, honestly, like, you know, and I mean, I felt that, you know, and, uh, (laughs) that's why I feel like, you know, the role of a coach, I mean, how many miles someone runs and and what pace they run at and all those things really matter. But what I think matters a lot more is just the true, genuine, like caring about someone else and you know what they're doing. So um, yeah, if you ever, I'm sure Grayson and I can serve as your, uh, your podcast cheer squad, if, if it ever helps. Oh my God. Like you would be, you are the best cheer squad already on this, on this podcast. I'm like, what's even happening? <laughs> like, you are the best cheer squad. Both of you just bring so much positivity. But now that you've yeah, turned I mean, the tables on me, sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, well, I was just going to frame it as like, there's a trip and it gets back to your amazing question earlier about like how coaching and athletics might change. I mean, in the old days, the types of coaches that were celebrated were, you know, Bill Belichick style, like let's, you know, the athletes are interchangeable products and they come and go. And, you know, you look at the Super Bowl this year with Bruce Arians or Ted Lasso on TV. It's like the things that are being celebrated now are like, no, the players are humans and what matters is the human. And the coach's role in that's interesting because obviously the coach's ego comes into play and all that. But I mean, at the end of the day, like, no coaching relationship lasts forever. No coach is actually the one performing. I think a lot of the celebration we have of coaches is probably um, misplaced. Um, mm. And so, you know, understanding that is, is, a, is a big part of it. So, you know, I, I think as, as it progresses, I mean, you know, someone like Grayson, like she's probably going to have a lot of coaches in her life and a lot of different ways to explore her ability. And I hope what she's left with is like friendship and and understanding, but also, you know, that she's a freaking boss and that has very little to do with any coach. I want to go a little bit more into all of the environmental work that you're doing right now, aside from your coaching and your running, because that in itself is super incredible. So I'll start with Grayson on that. Grayson, I know you're pursuing your master's in sustainability and natural resources from Oregon State. Um, And to me, there seems like there are two layers of your work. There's the research that you're doing in your grad program, and there's also the more public-facing work, such as your role as an ambassador for Protect Our Winters. So I'd love to just hear kind of an overview, if you could tell me about the environmental work that you're doing and what you're excited about in that. Yeah, I think, yeah, there are a ton of layers and I think it is just, it's something that I think about on a personal level, on a professional level and kind of everything in between. So that's 
where all of the different aspects come into play. Um, Because I am personally also very interested in my own life and making sustainable living choices. And, but then I recognize that I have a platform on social media and with, I can partner with companies to have a greater influence and hopefully maybe get a couple hundred or thousand other people to kind of jump on that bus and ride it with us. Um, And I think that's kind of where the partnership with POW comes in. Um, I'm also an ambassador for Forest Service Council, which they make sustainable forest service products. And I was able to get my planners this year printed on FSC certified paper. So that was really cool and special. And I'm trying to talk the talk, but also walk the walk and make sure that my personal decisions match what I'm trying to not preach because I don't like that word, but just educate people on um, moving forward. And so then with the master's degree side of things, I see that as a an avenue that I can use to explore professional, um, like a job in sustainability and more than just being an influencer on social media, because I don't see my whole life being an influencer. I hope it's not. And I think that I do have a skill set with engineering that I can bring to the sustainability and natural resource management area and fields that would be really special. And I like, kind of like David said earlier too, the um, connection that you get from working in environmental uh, work, but then also being a trail runner, I think is really unique because you're in the environment that you're also working so hard to save. And I think it makes you a little more attuned to acute differences. Like maybe there didn't, there's not as much snow this year and you notice things a little better than maybe your average person who's not on the trail every day. Um, so kind of recognizing that layer too of like, wow, I, I do want to be a lifelong runner, trail runner, and I might not have trails to run on in 30 years if we don't do something about it soon. So um, it's a self uh, kind of a um, personal and selfish pursuit like to try and save these trails that I want to use, but also because I want other people to be able to use them too. And so yeah, there's kind of just a lot like personal, selfish, um, public influencer, like a lot of layers that go into it all. So that's, it's kind of morphed into this huge thing that I'm really proud of and want to keep exploring. <laughs> totally. And what I thought was interesting is that you use the word influencer in like kind of this negative tone, which I mean, like, I am so guilty that I always kind of, I often use the word influencer, like social media influencer. It has a connotation that isn't always positive, but also like, I start to wonder why is that so negative? Because often it means you're influencing for good reason. Like, look at you and the work that you're doing. You're being a good influence. You're influencing people to make smart environmental choices. And at the same time, through your grad research in a different way, you're being an influence. And so I don't know, it's just making my head spin about what it really means to why we equate influencing or being an influencer with such a negative idea. Yeah, I think it's gotten a bad name um, or bad rap from for a variety of reasons. And there are plenty of examples of that, I'm sure, on social media. But then there are lots of examples, too, of positive influence and advocacy that tends towards more like social and environmental issues. And so I think, yeah, maybe it's like the issue is kind of what differentiates that between being a positive or negative 
connotation to the word. Mm, For sure. Yeah, that's a good point. And David, bringing it to you again, I mean, we've talked so much about the people-centered nature of your work, which seems like it rings true in your environmental work too. Now um, in your pro bono work as a staff attorney for the Environmental Law Institute, I know you're currently working with the Inuit Circumpolar Council to develop framework for governments, and it really centers the perspectives of tribes in Canada and Alaska. So I might have completely butchered the name of what you're doing. So please debunk it a little bit. Tell us what it is. You absolutely nailed it. And really quickly before I get to that, on on Grayson, for example, I think the parallels to running are so there. And that, you know, Grayson has all these tools as an athlete. Um, I don't think she knows exactly what her her athletic trajectory is going to look like in five years. I mean, we can, I have an idea of it perhaps, but the idea is that like every amount of work she's putting in now as she lives her life, it kind of expands this world of opportunity in front of her. And then as she's doing environmental stuff, I mean, the reason I was so strongly behind getting going to the program is not necessarily like because this will lead to this job or anything, because I think her skill set, I mean, Grayson is a kick-ass writer. I mean, the right the articles she does for Toronto Magazine are amazing. The editor of Toronto Magazine, Zoe, she'll email me or text me when she gets a Grayson article. It's like, you're gonna love this. Um, And I mean, that just shows one of the other skills that's in there. And then you combine all these, who knows what that looks like in five years, Mm -hmm. but by building all the tools, kind of just like you're building the tools as an athlete, then it can lead to like these magical places you can never predict. But I think with our identities, there's this tendency to want to like project it out with certainty. And I mean, where running's really good, I think as a teacher is that any amount of certainty is just like, you know, dust through our fingers. Like it just, it's out before we even get a, get a hold of it. Um, so zooming out real quick on, on my work. So, um, as I started like coaching, as coaching became, you know, the calling, I didn't realize that I had, um, I transitioned away from like the full-time legal work, which was a ton of hours, ton of travel and started trying to do a lot of the same work, but more like pro bono and that sort of thing. That's why you mentioned that and where that work centers now is working with tribes in Alaska and Canada, um, through the Inuit Circumpolar Council to uh, elevate the voices of Inuit on a number of uh, management issues, particularly related to subsistence resources. Um, So salmon, char, um, things along along that line. Because basically when we're talking about climate change, the the rate at which it's happening in the Arctic right now is stunning beyond belief. Going to these meetings of tribes and hearing the stories is shocking. I mean, you know, I think we're, we have a tendency to think of climate change in these really incremental changes about snowpack or fires. I mean, fires aren't incremental, but we can always explain it away somehow. Uh, Meanwhile, you know, a hunter um, in the Arctic circle is seeing swings of 40 degrees at times from, from average. And, And everything is changing so rapidly that from a very practical level, Inuit need to be at the forefront of all management decisions. It needs to like true co-management where the Inuit voice is elevated fully. And so what my role is on, on these per- particular projects is to try to provide the legal backing for how this can happen in practice and then engaging from there with, uh, you know, lawmakers in, in Canada and the U.S., but then also the Ar- Arctic Council globally um, and trying to just further this idea that the, the people that have 
created these management systems that have worked for thousands of years through a lot of pretty rapid change that can happen in the Arctic at times are now facing uh, unprecedented and uh, you know culturally threatening um, situations. And that it's not just about like, well, how can we design a law for this to work? It's about the people that are experiencing this already have those tools in place. And um, those voices need to be front and center, not just front and center, they need to be the ones leading the way. That's so important. I, I feel like there is such a savior thing when it comes to climate change activism. We think like, oh, you know, the big bad USA or or whatever country we're thinking about is in charge of creating these changes, these policies that will benefit everyone when it's in reality, often some very marginalized folks have been implementing practices that are extremely sustainable and that we should be learning from for generations and generations. So such an important and under-discussed perspective to bring in for sure. Yeah. And so helpful. I mean, you know, because we're centering everything on this idea of coaching and that Grayson coaches me, I coach Grayson, we're all coaching, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think the most like personally enriching part of this process, I mean, climate change activism of any type has such a long, difficult to trace path that that is meaningful, but you can't really center your actions in that. It's getting to meet the people, the Inuit people, and just blown away by the experiences, seeing that connectedness that we all share that like, even very different cultural backgrounds, like there is this shared uh, humanity, whatever you want to phrase that as in all of us, you know, and gosh, the more we can lift that up and, and lift up the differences as like the beauty of it all, the better. And so, um, I mean, I, I've been so fortunate that like they, that the people I've gotten to work with have taught me so much on these topics. And I hope a little bit to be able to share that over time in other work too, because like the, I mean, you, you don't want to paint a broad brush, but the general approach that the Inuit have of collaboration and understanding and listening and all these other things is, I mean, it is the answer. And the question is how can we apply that answer to other things? And I don't know the, I, I don't know, but, um, I think things like what you're doing is is actually how to do it. Is it is through influencing, but you know, it's a it's a hard path sometimes. Yeah, I mean it's it's overwhelming honestly when you when you think about it and I'm not I guess on that same vein of influencing and bringing this conversation to other spheres of life. I I'd, I'd love to bring it back to sports and to trail running in particular. I'm curious whether you two think that you know, when trail runners talk about climate change, because they see the way that changes in the climate are affecting the trails they run on, et cetera, the places where they play outside, do you see them talking about the human aspect of that and the justice aspect of that? Or is it more focused on our trails are changing, the places that we run are changing? Um, I think maybe a little bit of both. And um, kind of the, one of the bigger takeaways I've been having out of my program is there's kind of a triple bottom line to like managing natural resources and access to outdoor recreation is is an outdoor um, natural resource that you it has to be managed and equity to that and kind of justice in making sure people all have access is just as important as looking at like what are the 
ecological effects of having a bunch of people running through this area. So I think for me, it's kind of a combo of both. And especially as a woman, um, I've noticed personally, and then I'm also writing or, or doing research and writing a report on um, equity and access to women in trail running. And there is an inequity of sorts. And I think that that comes down to like the social um, gender socialization of especially Western cultures that women like may not be competent or able to go off on the trail alone, or for some reason, like you're not strong enough. And it's kind of these like background things we've been told are barriers to access that a lot of women face in even entering the sport. But that isn't even just the sport. It could be like going out on the trail in their neighborhood. They don't feel like they can. Um, and so in our culture where recreation is such a huge part, that's a piece of it. But then I think in other cultures too, um, where maybe they don't have a huge recreation portion, but they still do interact with their natural environment, like learning from them and how they do that in a considerate way is really important. And like traditional ecological knowledge, I think would be great to incorporate into trail running even of like um, looking at how people are stewards of their lands and then how can recreation be kind of added to that. So I think it's it's really complex and all interconnected and it's kind of a big circle. Um, there's like a never ending end to it. It's always just gonna be kind of like reflecting, researching and adapting over and over and over again. I love this, Grayson. And I especially love that you brought in the gender aspect of this. And then you're talking about ecological knowledge, because really, I mean, in cultures throughout the world, it's often been women who have been, you know, practicing sustainable agriculture, just sustainable practices in general, and have that ecological knowledge for generations and generations. So yeah, I, I just, I love all these ideas that you're having about like kind of bringing that ecological knowledge and just different skill sets um, to just trail running and to outdoor recreation. It's something I want to, I want to hear more about and I want to keep having those conversations because it seems like a very interesting thought. Yeah, it seems really related to what David was saying about incorporating what the tribes know and their lived experience with climate change and then combining that with science to back it. But it is a combo of both and it's not going to be just science that's going to fix it. And I've learned that bottom up management is a lot more sustainable than top down. So if you've got a government telling you do all these things. Um, that's not going to work and kind of collaboration is the key on local and regional levels because often, I mean, the federal government doesn't know what's happening here in Montana as good as I do because I'm on the ground experiencing that more. So I think, yeah, kind of it's all connected and just like different levels of the same kind of structure and framework. I love what Grayson said about interconnectedness because like all of these issues are truly intersectional and taking away all the term of art of that word and broadening out to like humans and like nature and everything, it all is intertwined. So when we're talking about the environment, we are also talking about race. We are also talking about gender, like, you know, everything about what makes us humans. And, you know, it's so important that all of that is pushed together at the same time and not like necessarily prioritized 
but um, that it all it's equally important from a justice perspective to to do all of these things. Um, and, and the importance of that is not that like this is not a liberal versus conservative issue or anything. This is about how can like as a society we move forward to a much more just place. And you know, in the legal system, there's all of this fascinating research that looks at you know we talk about the Supreme Court. Is it liberal or is it conservative? But over time, the Supreme Court on their major decisions will end up tracking what the will of the people is. Um, so there's these great books out there on that. And I mean, obviously it matters who is appointed, but what really matters is like how as a society, we can move forward and accept the importance of every issue. So Black Lives Matter last summer was a world changing thing. And it's so freaking important. And I think will cause seismic essential shifts in how we view justice. Um, and I think the same things are happening in the environment and gender issues in, in everything we're talking about. And so I'm so hopeful for a tomorrow that it has people like Grayson and like Claire and like this podcast leading the way where, um, and then, you know, black people and, you know, all like gender and everything lean the way where the, the will of the people becomes one that all of the management and, and all these specific legal questions get answered not through like, okay, this is the exact way to answer that. But okay, this is what matters to us. And how can we support those that justice? And if there's anything that like history has taught us is that once we have that priority, then we can find answers. And so I'm super hopeful about where the trajectory of that is going, led by people like Grayson and you. Well, I'm happy that you're hopeful because it depends for me every day. I change my mind and whether I'm hopeful or not, but that's the vision I think the three of us all have. That's the world that we want to create and we want to live in. And how do we get there is the big thing. And I think a lot of it comes down to listening, listening to other people and the knowledge that they bring and, and listening to people that are different from ourselves, which I think is so much what you two are getting at and, and so much what environmentalism is about too. It's, it's about the people. Uh, an important distinction to make not humans in nature it's humans as a part of nature and like how that is connected and we're part of it too we're not just like in this vacuum environment or visitors because we're always interacting with it and so you can't cut yourself off you're always going to have connections to it yeah and that's just to get back to what we said it's like runners are humans and mm -hmm. that whole picture is what makes our like short time existing like relevant, <laughs> important in matter and also true. So, you know, the more we can zoom out and just accept like people have different perspectives, <laughs> runners have different trajectories and all of it can be like beautiful and accepted and um, important. Then I think like a lot of the other questions get answered over time on their own. So, I mean, that's why the podcast, what you're doing and connecting it all. It's so, it's so truly honest. And that's the coolest thing ever. Well, thank you so much. That really means a lot. So I want to, you know, take it to a little bit of a fun direction. We always get a little bit deep towards the end of these podcasts. And first of all, I want to hear about your goals and what you're excited for right now. I know Grayson, came, before David came on, before he pressed record, she was telling me a little bit about her athletic goals coming up. So I don't know if you want to share some piece of that. Or anything yeah, else? So I have a 5K on the track coming up, which will be really fun. And then kind of just into track season and then really excited for um, Mountain World Running Championships in the fall. And 
working with David on a couple other fun races I think I want to go after this year that will be new to me um and then just continuing my studies and all the hats that I'm wearing like continuing those too is always really exciting to me cool yeah I can't wait to see it all go ahead David and I'm excited for all of that and then um yeah my current thing is like you know, Megan and I have been spending basically all of our time together in, uh, in the pandemic, obviously, and doing uh, the the podcast we started together is so freaking fun. And I look forward to it every weekend because, or every week, because it's just a chance to like make jokes and talk to each other and then um, have people like Grayson listen to it. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to running in the snow tomorrow too. Um, I pulled a hamstring last week and I'm feeling great now. So Yikes. it's really fun to go flip around. And I have to say, I also love the Some Work All Play podcast. I don't think I've congratulated on you for that either, but it's like super fun and light, but also gets at really important issues, which is like really hard to do. So congratulations on that because it's been a really successful and fun to listen to podcast. Thank you. No, it's so like uh, we we joked, we're about to record and we just, uh, yeah, it's so like writing an outline with her is I laugh my ass off just writing the outline or, you know, reading her comments on the outline. So I, I hope that comes across a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a long, like for anyone listening, it's been a really long COVID uncertain time. So yeah, whatever you need to get you through the day, it's all good. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Start a podcast, make some jokes, whatever, you, whatever you need to do. <laughs> all right. So I saw Grayson's cat coming in and out. Um, yeah. I so loved it. yeah. The cat. Brings me to my next question, dogs or cats? Oh, well, we're polarized on this. I like That's all I animals, but I own a cat. <laughs> I, I support Grayson's answer greatly. Um, I, I have a dog, but um, and our, my dog, Addie loves cats, but cats don't love her, which perhaps <laughs> explains my relationship with cats as well so far in my life. My cat loves dogs, so maybe it would be a match made in heaven. They're meant to be. I mean, one of the unfortunate things is like we were planning on doing like boulder training camps at some point. Oh. With COVID, we haven't been able to with Grayson. So Grayson's going to come. Cat and dogs are going to be living together. It's going to be amazing mass hysteria here. Perfect. Yeah. Keep everyone posted on how that turns out. I'm, I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm really interested. Okay, what is the weirdest or most unique COVID coping mechanism that you have? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of a healthy and podcast appropriate one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe it is just taking pictures of the cat. And early in COVID, he got sick of me because I wouldn't <laughs> leave him alone and wouldn't stop touching him or playing with him because I was so bored. So. That's probably. <laughs> What's your cat's name again, Grayson? Cusco. Cusco. Like the Emperor's New Groove. Oh, mm-hmm. That's perfect. <laughs> um, and for me, I've definitely napped a lot more. And like, I'm really trying to embrace that. Like, I always have an urge to like push on to whatever the next thing is. So napping has become a much bigger part of my life. And I recommend it to everyone. <laughs> I'm super jealous. I've tried to be a napper for most of my life with not much success. <laughs> so I'm very inspired by that answer. Good job. 
The more uh, formal answer would be meditation, but what meditation turns into is napping. <laughs> so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's not the intended purpose, but it gets me there. I think that's just very successful meditation. You have successfully <laughs> relaxed. It's so peaceful. <laughs> so the last question that I like to ask everyone is why is sport a powerful platform for social change? Mm. I uh, just the access to um, the broad audience that you can access and interact with. And I know that's not the case for everyone and not everyone like is an influencer and has or a professional athlete with that platform. But yeah, I think for me, it's kind of that connection and interaction aspect and the ability to be the person that does say something that can initiate change. That's perfect. Yeah, for sure. And so I'm reminded of from that show, Ted Lasso, the character Danny Rojas has a, uh, a catchphrase saying thing, football is life. And uh, I think sports is life, sport is life. You know, not that it's like the most important thing in the world, but it is life wrapped in a little, you know, in a ball in a community and all the things that add meaning to our days. And so um, by connecting it to all the things that are truly important, like, race and gender and the environment, um, you know, we're just bringing that genuine truth to the surface. So to anyone listening, don't stick to sports, even if you're not exactly sure what you're going to say or what pushback you're going to get back. I mean, what Grayson has taught me, what Claire has taught me and, and others like that is that use your voice and wherever that leads, um, is going to be, it's going to be everything because it's, that's life. Those were two incredible answers and you two are just incredible, amazing humans. You're both changing the world. I mean, I can't wait to follow along with everything you both do in the future. Thank you so much for this conversation. Woohoo! Thank you so much. And yeah, what you're doing is freaking awesome and challenging as heck. And we, uh, I admire you so much. Thank you. Thank you oh. for having us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social Sport. There is no doubt Grayson and David are truly special people. I feel lucky to have had them on the show. If you enjoyed this conversation, let me know. Reach out on Instagram at socialsportpod. And make sure to subscribe to the Social Sport newsletter at socialsport.substack.com. If you have three minutes to spare, I would really appreciate it if you left a rating and a review for Social Sport on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, keep sporting and keep resisting.